I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the mini break. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, March 31st. Upsets galore at the Miami Open as Maria Sakkari and Roberto Bautista Agut prove to simply be too fit and knock off top contenders Naomi Osaka and Daniil Medvedev. Of course, Yannick Sinner becomes one of the youngest players in Miami Open history to reach the men's single semifinal round. Bianca Andreescu continues to prove that when healthy, she is unequivocally one of the top five women's players in the game in a hard court event. She advances to the semifinal round. I want to break down all of Wednesday's matches, preview what we have ahead of us on Thursday in Miami. Of course, as always, we here at Cracked Rackets are well aware there's a lot of other action going on elsewhere at various levels across the tennis world. If you want to hear more about challenger tennis, college tennis, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed, Chris Halliorson and Matt Stokowiak joined me on Tuesday for our weekly college tennis roundup. David Gertler joined me on Thursday to talk about all the challenger action, to talk about the rise of Dominic Stricker, to talk about the continued success of Zizou Bergs. We also talked a little bit of Miami, so in case you're sick of hearing my voice, my opinion, you want to hear someone else's, tune on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, on our website, CrackedRackets.com, where Wherever you listen to your podcast. Of course, the reason I'm able to do this day in, day out, cover each day's results in Miami on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from you listeners, from our Patreon family. And I don't just say that to say that every podcast. To be clear, sincerely, we wouldn't do it if you listeners didn't keep on listening. Support our efforts here at Crack Racket. It's, it's what makes the wheels go round. So on behalf of all of us on our CR team, Sincerely, again, thank you for your support. Of course, we are also eternally grateful for the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. Be on the lookout for a podcast to drop over the next few days. Dave Limke, our friend at Midwest Sports, going to join us to talk about all of the fun things happening over there. Of course, we also want to uh, let you know that if you are getting ready to make the shift to outdoor tennis or perhaps just starting to have more free time available, starting to pick up how much you are playing in your spare time, be sure to turn to our friends at Midwest Sports to update your equipment, to get all of the best deals, all of the best gear at all of the best prices. Go to MidwestSports.com, use our promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. That promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's talk about the action in Miami, and let's start with the women's semifinals. We had one three-set match on the day. 
it belonged to Bianca Andreescu, who just likes to seem to play. These three set matches filled with high levels of drama, but more importantly, sincerely, again, that's the word of the day here, sincerely, I suppose, but just an incredibly high level of tennis from Andreescu throughout the course of this event in Miami. And it's been three vastly different matches. You start, you know, well, first of all, I'm, I suppose I'm not starting the, with the Martin Sova match, the, her first round win. Uh, she beats Martin Sova 6-2. and two. The qualifier has the pesky forehand. Pretty good mover around the court, but didn't really have a weapon to hurt Andreescu with. That's her only straight set victory, though, because, of course, they she then played a thrilling three-setter with big-hitting young rising American Amanda Anisimova. She wins that match 7-6-6-7-6-4 in the third. She knocks off Garbine Muguruza in an incredibly physical and incredibly first-shot-centric 3-6-6-3-6-2 affair. And then tonight... It was a grind fest, and pretty clearly from the get-go, obviously, if you follow the tour day in, day out, week in, week out, you're going to be well aware of the fact that Bianca Andreescu had a significant firepower advantage heading into her semifinal matchup against Sarah Cerebez Tormo, but... Coming into the match, Cerebez Tormo, 28-10 in her last 52 weeks of competition, a.k.a. since the tour restarted in August. Even more recently, she wins the title in Guadalajara. She knocks off Buzkova, you know, plays a bunch of good matches over the course of the week, beating uh, not just Buzkova, Astra Sharma, you know, uh, Liani uh, Kung, all of the people she should beat, but she beats them all in a fun final. She beats Jeannie Bouchard in straight sets. She follows that off. Three-set win over Serenko. Straight-set win over Schmidlova. Uh, then loses 5-5 five and five to Leila Fernandez in the Monterey semifinals to follow those two weeks with a third consecutive week of play and to beat Bernarda Pera in three sets, Jennifer Brady in three sets, Elena Rabakina in three sets, and then Own Jabour in three sets. That is a testament to to the level of Sarah Cerebez Tormo right now. And I do <clears throat> want to plug that Great Shot podcast I did with David again because I have talked about her, but maybe you won't believe me. Maybe you all hear my voice every day and you're like, yeah, you you sing everyone's praises. You get excited about a lot of people. Well, you should all go hear that podcast to hear David Gertler, who is her biggest fan, uh, go sing the 24-year-old Spaniard's praises. Uh, of course, I, again, I mentioned that 28 and 10 mark. She's up to a new career high in the live rankings inside the top 50, up to number 48 with her results this week. And simply put, she just, you know, again, I, I use that word grind. She, uh, there was, f- I, I suppose it was all one long run-on sentence, but it was at the beginning of that mini rant. Uh, that's the sort of style of play. She imposes her will. You know, she makes matches physical. She's going to make 13 extra balls, not just one, two extra shots, but 13 extra shots in each and every rally. And, you know, she makes 72% of her first serves, but wins about 50% of her first and second serve points. That's because she doesn't have a lot of pace on her first serve. She places it well, and it's, again, more of a setting up of the point than anything else. But, you know, that's not going to fly against Bianca Andreescu, who in this match goes down an early break of serve in the first set, but goes on to take a 6-4 first set, drops the second 6-3, goes down an early break, or at least a testy start to that third set, and then she takes it again, 6-4, 3-6, to advance to the semifinals. You look at the stats in this match, 
I mean, this was a break fest. There was eight breaks of serve for uh, Cerebes Tormo, nine breaks of serve for Andrescu. Andrescu, 18 break points, nine of 18 on those chances. Cerebes Tormo, eight of 17 on her break point chances. The only number for either of these players over 50%. Uh, Andrescu wins 53.8% of her first serve points, but uh, both her and Cerebus Tormo between 40 and 50% on, you know, for Cerebus Tormo is both first and second serve points for Andrescu, just second serve points, even though Andrescu made 65% of her first serves in this match. Cerebus Tormo made 77% of her first serves in this match. This didn't matter. It was long physical points and Andrescu did such a good job she realized halfway through the set you know what I need to be aggressive halfway through the first set I need to be aggressive with my return of serve that is the shot that sets up the rest of the point and she did such a good job on the do side taking that you know finding forehands a on with her return and b taking that forehand down the line to just draw a first backhand from Cerebes Tormo and you know a lot of the times that backhand is going to be a slice and then from there Andrescu goes forehand cross inside out forehand drop shot, slice forehand, just she, you're playing her games now. You're at her command. And what Cerebes Tormo does so well, she says, all right, that's fine. I bet I'm faster than you. I bet I'm going to track down these balls and put enough pressure on you that you're going to feel too tentative to hit an approach shot. And on those moments, you do hit an approach shot. You force it a little bit, and I'm going to use my speed to track that ball down and hit a passing shot by you. And that's exactly what she did at so many different points in this match. It was so fun because Cerebes Tormo had an answer to every question Andrescu asked of her, but again, in the end, Andrescu just too much fire power on that forehand so often. You know, again, the first half of the match, it's taking that forehand return on the do side, down the line on the ad side. Backhand and forehand are going cross-court to that ad corner to get a first backhand from Cerebes Tormo just to take control of the point. And then, halfway through the match, she switched her tactics. She said, you know what, now I'm going to take my return big cross-court to open up the ad side of the court and then use my plus-one shot off the return to attack your backhand and then move forward, hit swinging volleys, hit more forehands. You know, again, her it's not like she wasn't doing it with her backhand as well. She's plenty comfortable driving through that ball both cross-court and down the line, and then just physically, especially on these slow hard courts, it was really hard for Sarah Cerebus Tormo to hit a winner in this match. You look at the stats, Bianca Andrescu, 42 winners against 42 unforced errors. Of course, no double faults in the match. 65% of her first serves go in, but for Cerebus Tormo, you know, she hits 25 fewer winners, only 17. Now she hit 21 fewer unforced errors, and so... You know, that's always going to be her game. She hits half the unforced errors that Andrescu hits. And again, put so much pressure on Andrescu. I think it was uh, 2-4, 30-40, third set, plays this long, you know, Andrescu hits a good return, but uh, Cerebus Tormo goes down the, uh, it was either inside and in or down the line to the do side to attack the Andrescu forehand, then gets her stretched on the backhand wing. Andrescu hits a backhand slice. Cerebus Tormo is at the net, has a put away, oh, no. No, no, no. It was the other way around. She gets her stretched on the backhand corner. Uh, Andrescu hits a backhand slice. Cerebus Tormo moves in behind it. A fantastic on-the-slide get from Andrescu just to put her racket on the ball. Cerebus Tormo gets a high backhand volley that she makes... I would say 90 out of 100 times to put away the court uh, point, and all she had to do was make the volley to win the point, and she misses the volley in the net, and it's 2-5 in the third set. Andrescu gets broken for 3-5, but again, a break was essentially a hold of serve in this match, and 
Andrescu is able to break to win the match. At the end, there was a really friendly exchange between the two players, and that's because, you know, Cerebus Toro made Andrescu earn it physically, and Andrescu was very much willing to acknowledge that at the end of the match. Certainly, you could tell she was feeling it in her legs. But that's a fantastic match. You know, three sets, 92 total points for Andrescu, 84 for Cerebus Tormo. She fought, she scrapped, she clawed, but in the end just didn't quite have the weapons. Almost had the physicality, but Andrescu too tough. She advances to the semifinals. And just some Bianca Andrescu stats for you that continue to amaze me. She's now 8-2 and two in her return to tennis here to start this 2021 season. She's, you know, making 64% of her first serves, winning 67.5% of those points. 48% of her second serve points. You look at the WTA leaderboards, and we're just going to do, we're not going to do last 52. We're just going to look here in 2021 for Bianca Andrescu. In terms of her hold percentage, Andrescu right now, how's she doing? She is currently ranked 16th of the top 50 players in terms of how frequently she is holding serve that percentage. Uh, since I know some of you are curious for the actual number in terms of her hold percentage right now, uh, Bianca Andrescu, let's see, let's go back to the hold. Thank you. Uh, her hold percentage currently here in 2021, she is at, let's see, 72.2%. That's tied by the way. 415th with Maria Sakari, who we'll talk about momentarily. In terms of her return percentage, Bianca Andrescu right now, breaking serve. Uh, not terrible, not great, though. She's breaking serve uh, approximately, sorry, I just don't want to be wrong for all of you listeners. She is breaking serve uh, about, oh, that's actually, she is doing pretty well. Uh, her number, apologies, I'm obfuscating here, about 40% of the time. That's good for about 15th as well. And again, she's still working her way back. That was a long pause. I apologize. i got to be better with my stats. I'm not going to have that happen. West stuff. leave that all in, but that's the only meandering that's going to happen here tonight. My point being, Bianca Andrescu is returning to form. The craziest part is how many three-set matches she's played in a row, considering how little, you know, she didn't play any matches in 2020. And as she continues to work her way back into even better match shape, it's a scary thought. And we still haven't, uh, for the rest of the tour, and we still haven't really seen her play a clay court season. With her variety uh, and her pace, she can hit through any court. <clears throat> I think... She's going to have success on the clay. The question is, can she stay healthy? For now, the answer is yes, and it's a really fun thing for all of us tennis fans. Worth noting again for Cerebes Tormo just how good she has been here. Oh, by the way, Andrescu now 24-5 and in her career at the Premier or 1,000. It's now called level. That's ridiculous. To go 24 and 5 and, you know, a chance to go 25, 24 and 6 even at worst in your first 30 matches to win 80% uh, at worst. She's right now at 83% of her first 30 premier matches. Insane. Another just insane stat put forward by Bianca Andrescu. Worth noting, though, Sarah Cerebes Tormo, she's going to enter the top 50 for the first time in her career. That's where she deserves to be. Incredible fight from her. One of the winners of the first third of this WTA season. That was match number one. Match number two, you could argue, could have been the match we led with. Andrescu, Cerebus Tormo, the only three-set match on the day. But Maria Sakari ends the 23-match win streak of Naomi Osaka. She advances to her first Miami semifinal with a 6-love, six 6-4 six victory over the number two-seeded Osaka. And look, respectfully, uh, no, no, no. 
I'm, I'm getting better at this. Let's talk about the positives first for Maria Sakari. Physically, she's as fit as it gets in the women's game. She's a top, not just top 10, top five mover. Her athleticism allows her to get around the ball, take it early, hit the inside out or inside in forehand. And today, oh my God, was her forehand explosive. The Naomi Osaka second serve, that kick serve was just sitting up in the court. And in this match, Naomi Osaka only made 41% of her first serves, had 26 points on her first serve, 38 points on her second serve. That offered Sakari too many opportunities to run around and hit these huge inside-out forehand returns on the ad side because that kick serve of Osaka was just sitting in the center of the court. And then on the backhand side, she was driving through the backhand inside in, hitting through the forehand cross court. I mean, she was so good on return today. Again, her speed was phenomenal. You look at the stats in this match, Sakari, 22 winners against 22 unforced errors when you're playing someone as powerful as Osaka. To even break even is a really good ratio and then look Naomi Osaka in this match it has to be said to make only 41% of her first serves that's obviously unacceptable to hit only five winners in a match against 23 unforced errors but when was the last time someone with Naomi you know Naomi Osaka with her firepower was held to only five winners. That's a shocking number, and you could just tell. She really didn't have her rhythm from the onset of this match. She took a 40-love lead in her opening service game, the opening game of the match, and she gets broken, and she drops that first set 6-love, and she takes a 4-1 lead in the second set and just isn't able to hold on to that lead. For all, Deuce, uh, for all, 40 love has an easy backhand put away that she held to see which way Sakari would move and then, you know, just kind of went down the line anyways, but that's the way Sakari guessed and she hit this really incredible because of her outstanding athleticism on the run forehand, low pass at the body of Osaka. Osaka made the volley but couldn't do much with it and Sakari tracks down that volley, hits a second shot, passing shot, ends up breaking that game and ends up serving out the match and it's just look again all of the credit in the world to Maria Sakari who now a sneaky 23 and 10 since the tour restarted in August you look for her now she's made quarterfinals at one two three four five six of the 10 events she's played she's made semifinals at one two three now four of the 10 events she's played you look again via a tennis abstracts elo rating she is currently uh the number 17 player via their total elo she is currently uh just this season a little bit low but she'll jump after this week i think she'll jump certainly into a top 20 player you look right now in the live ranking sakari one of those players who it's a little bit difficult for her to probably jump up to where her ranking reflects, but she's now at a new, or her level reflects, but she's at a new career high of number 20 in the world, which again is where the 25 year old belongs. She is a top 20 player in the world. You look for her now. Uh, it's the thir- uh, 14th career, uh, excuse me, this was the 13th career quarterfinal for her at the 1000 level. She now is into her ninth semifinal, and, you know, unfortunately for her, And this is why she's only top 20 and not higher than that, because when she comes up against uh, the semifinal players of late, it was Sabalenka, Azarenka, Rabakina, Pliskova, those players with that transcendent power, that huge weapon. She doesn't quite have that, or at least because of her size, you know, physically, again, 
she can hang with anyone. She's going to track down a bunch of balls. But if you can hit that big serve, you can get it up over her head or up into her body. And so, uh, you know, she's 1-7 in in her career in semifinals. But she's now going to play a worn-down Bianca Andreescu and Maria Sakkari. The last thing you want to do when you're playing her is have dead legs because she's going to make you work. And if you hang anything in the center of the court, she's, you know, firing it into the outer thirds. I've talked a lot about Sakkari. Hopefully all of you remember the podcast I did at the end of last season to start this season. You all got to listen to some of the from the pressers I did when I had the chance to talk to her in Ostrava, in Linz, and in Abu Dhabi to start this season. But I said it before, I'll say it again. She's making her breakthrough. Just physically, she can do a lot of different things. She's got sneaky power around the court. That forehand has turned into a weapon, and you look at the numbers. Her serving stats right now, her first serve percentage is a little bit lower than it normally is in her career, but her for at 56% compared to, you know, normally she's 61.4 for her career, but she's also winning 70.5% of her first serve points compared to a career average of 63.7. So she's being more aggressive with her her first serve and it's at the expense of a few percentage points but it's earning her more free points it's creating more plus one opportunities the numbers reflect what we're seeing on the court and so it are the levels so are her results so you look again for her now 23 and 10 since the tour restarted she's now two and three against osaka but you know the three losses she took were both in three all three of them in three sets her two victories straight sets so she just seems to really feed off of the power of of Naomi Osaka and because of her physicality because she's able to track down that first ball she did a really good job of changing direction and hitting behind Osaka uh, she just presents a lot of problems for Naomi Osaka and you know again I mentioned it, she's nine and four now in these quarterfinals but one in seven in the semifinals she has a very very winnable match against Bianca Andreescu tomorrow it's the sort of match she needs to win if she wants to continue to get not just into the top 20 but the top 10 and be considered in the conversation with the Andrescu's and Osaka's and Bardi's and, you know, even Kvitova's, even Svitolina's of the world. You know, this is the sort of match. Get to a final here. Get to this Miami final. And, uh, you know, again, I think the world of Maria Sakkari, I hope that's been reflected in the past few months of podcasts, but a final in Miami, I don't think anyone can deny that she deserves to be considered a serious threat in each and every event she faces those war, uh, those war. Hey, great shot. Those were your women's quarterfinal results. We had the first half of quarterfinals re- yesterday. A quick refresher: it was Bardi a three-set victory over Sabalenka, Svitolina a straight-set victory over Sevastova. If you want to hear more about those, of course, be sure to go check out yesterday's mini break podcast. But again, a fantastic performance from Maria Sakkari. She advances <clears throat> to the Miami semifinals. With that in mind, let's switch gears now and talk about the men's results. And let's start uh, with the guy who, I will admit, when he was ripping through challengers at the end of 2019 and had some ATP success when he beat, what was it, Monfils, I think, and, you know, ends up winning the next-gen finals, I was like, all right, I like this guy, Yannick Sinner. Certainly, you look at his forehand, you look at his backhand, he's in the Rublev FA category. It's a sonic boom when it comes off of his racket, but he's a little stiff in the hips. He's a little bit small. The serve is okay. It's not great. Am I really in love with this guy? Do I really consider him a top-tier future Grand Slam champion prospect? Again, this is end of 2019. That answer was no. I cannot emphasize enough 
how incorrect that was. A lot of times I'll tell you listeners when I was right, I was wrong then. I mean, he is – he's still not my leader in the clubhouse, but he is in the top tier. He has surpassed Felix Ogier, Ali Asim. It is now – if you're asking what's the new big four, it's Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Sinner. Those are the guys who are going to be competing for Grand Slam championships. Dominic team as well, obviously, but those are the guys of the of the 96s or later, the category uh, you know of next gen ATP players that are my leaders in the clubhouse, my tier one guys. FAA is a tier one guy still for me for reasons we're not going to get into. We've done it before, uh, but I mean Yannick Sinner. The forehand gets, you know, again, anytime he gets a clean look at a forehand, the point is over. His backhand gets better and better with every passing match, his ability to move that ball around. He hit this today. You know, Bublik got, uh, had quick hands and got a lob over his head, and Sinner hits this doing a 360 backhand cross-court passing shot. And, and, you know, at first I was like, is this backhand a little bit handsy? But no, his ability to guide the ball around the court, change directions with that backhand, create topspin on that backhand, but also drive on that backhand. Backhand, it, it can hit through any court, even here in Miami. Obviously, again, the forehand is a plus, 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 plus weapon. He hit this kick serve out wide winner today that had my jaw on the floor. I was just like, I cannot believe that was a real serve from the six one six two Italian. He gets better and better as a mover each and every time I see him. It reminds me of Tsitsipas in that, yeah, it seemed a little stiff at first, but it was because he was 18 years or 16, 17 years old and hadn't done a squat in his life, at least not with a serious, grown, developed body, and just, he's a stud. He does everything well, and, you know, he went down an early break today against Sasha Bublik, and Sasha Bublik had the chance to serve for the first set in his match against Yannick Sinner, and Sinner broke him, and, you know, again, Bublik's the guy who has one of, if not, I think it's the seventh most effective first serve or seventh highest win percentage on his first serve of the top 50 men on tour. It didn't matter. In today's match, he only made 59% of his first serves, but his lowest performance of the tournament went 33 of 52 on first serve points, 17 of 36 on second serve points in you know, Bublik's a guy who is going to hit a first serve on the second serve. Doesn't mind if he runs up the double faults because that second serve is how he sets up his uh, service games, that serve just in general. But look, I mean, Sinner created nine breakpoint chances, converted three of them. He fought off seven of the nine breakpoint chances he faced. That one additional break of serve, the one tiebreaker he won in the first set was good enough, and it's the second time he's beaten Bublik here to start the season. And I talked extensively about Bublik yesterday. I'm not going to do that again today. But look, I I love Sasha Bublik. I, I just think, you know, for a serve bot, for a guy with that sort of weapon of a first serve, he's just... He's more dynamic than a Lloyd Harris. He can do more from the ground. He's more comfortable at the net. He'll throw in drop shot. He hit that on-the-rise return. He hit some ridiculous inside-out, inside-in forehand return slap winners today. He can just do a little bit of everything, and he moves really well for a guy who's 6'6". Similarly, I mean, so does Lloyd Harris, but I like the Bublik backhand better. I like his hands at the net better. I think he puts a lot of returns on the court, and his bad returning stats are a product of him I mean, he's got that he's got that uh, characteristic, right, where he'll tank some games and throw them away and just kind of ride his service holds through the end of the match. That's a characteristic he's going to need to get rid of if he wants to be a top five player. But 
He's got all the skills. He's got a lot of talent. He's got the physical profile. Didn't matter today because Yannick Sinner can match that physical profile and is just a better tennis player. And you heard Bublik joke with Sinner after the match saying, dude, are you a human? Like, you're 15 years old and you play this ridiculous level of tennis. And look, Bublik's absolutely right. I mentioned the service stats in the match. Sinner, inefficient, makes 64% of his first serves, wins 63% of his first serve points, 59% of his second serve points. Again, Bublik went big on his uh, on his return of serve. And if you're Bublik, you're pretty happy with your 24 winners against only 28 unforced errors. And that first set, Bublik was just on fire. But for Sinner, 36 winners against 30 uh, unforced errors. He hit 28 forehand winners against 28 unforced uh, 28 forehand winners against 20 unforced errors. That speaks to, again, how big and how aggressive he can be with that forehand. Six backhand winners against seven unforced errors. He was an efficient 11 of 15 at the net. And most impressively, and look, Bublik will force his way to the net. He'll hit approach shots that aren't that good. But he puts a ton of pressure on you with his rush to the net mentality. And, you know, he was 11 of 31 on net points. Sinner did such a good job of getting that first passing shot low on Bublik at his feet. And then, you know, playing two pass tennis, you dip the first and chase. My coach used to say dip and chase Frisky. Was Yes, the Frisky nickname. We can cover that a different time. But he used to say, you know, dip and chase. And that's what you do. You dip at the feet and you know he's going to pop that next one up short. And if you can track it down, you're going to get a clean look at a passing shot. That's what Daniel Medvedev's game is almost predicated on. Yannick Sinner's able to play the 28 winner on the forehand tennis and then also play some, display some, display his, hey, sorry about that, display his defensive skills as well. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This was a fantastic performance for Sinner, who I mentioned at the start of this podcast becomes one of the youngest players in history, the fourth youngest, in fact, to reach the semifinals of the Miami Open FAA, who... That's why he's tier one, folks. Did it at the age of 18. Nadal did it at the age of 18. Leighton Hewitt did it at the age of 19. Yannick Sinner's done it at the age of 19. I know what you're thinking, and I will mention it, even though the Tennis TV tweet did not. Uh, Novak Djokovic won the Miami Open at age 19. Believe me, I'm well aware of that fact, but you know who can match that stat potentially this week because he's looked as good as anyone? Yannick Sinner. Was that impressed with the young Italian's performance today? He's, again, into the ATP top 30, but beyond that now at a new career high of number 24. I don't know if he's going to leave the top 25 in the next decade either. He has been that good. And, you know, by ELO rating, again, tennis abstracts measurement, who you're playing, not when you're or where. He's the number nine player over, you know, the past. uh, Excuse me. He is. Uh, yeah, no, he's the number nine player uh, over the past five years of ELO rating. He's the number 11 player based on 2020 ELO, uh, 2021, excuse me, ELO rating. I have to say, 
If you're asking me what's a more accurate ranking for Yannick Sinner, number 11 or number 24, and please tweet at me if you listen to this podcast. Let me know if you agree or agree. What's more accurate, the tennis abstract ELO rating of number 11 or the tennis abstract ELO rating, or excuse me, or the ATP ranking of number 24 for Sinner? I might say the ELO rating. It's funny because Lloyd Harris right now is number 10 on the yearly ELO rating, and Lloyd Harris is, ah! Has Lloyd Harris been better than Yannick Sinner purely on 2021 results? I mean, the answer is no. And I would say, though, Yannick Sinner does probably belong in the top 15 of the ATP rankings. The 19-year-old has been that good. But that's semifinal number one. And again, huge credit to Sasha Bublik. Fantastic week for him. First Masters quarterfinal. You look in the live rankings for Bublik. Uh, he is now at a new career high as well. The 23-year-old Kazakh now. Uh, is it Kazakh? I apologize if I butchered that. But the 23-year-old now up to number 42 in the live rankings. Again, that's a new career high for him. He's been fantastic to start the season. I covered him at length yesterday. Uh, but Yannick Sinner now, you look uh, 29-11 and 11 since the tour restarted in August. He's got the title at the Great Ocean Road Open, the title in Sofia. So that was, what, a 10-match win streak to end last season, start this season. He has now won uh, five matches in a row here, seven out of his last eight, nine out of his last 11, and with that 10-match win streak, uh, uh, 19 of his past 23. That's ridiculous. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. That's, folks, a top 20 player on the ATP Tour. Uh, again, those are your Yannick Sinner-related storylines uh, on Wednesday. The other semifinal, Roberto Bautista Agut, has been sensational to start this 2021 season, he made the final a few weeks ago in Montpellier before losing a close three-set match to Gofen. He made the final in Doha before losing in straights to Basilashvili. He lost last week in Dubai, round of 16, to Yannick Sinner, 7-5 in the third set. So how exciting is it that we get that rematch once again? Bautista Gu going to take on Sinner after he knocked off Daniil Medvedev, 6-4, 6-2. And look... Medvedev had a physical week of tennis. The Tiafo match, he looked drained. The Paparin match, he was cramping at the end. But that's not an excuse because, you know, again, that's just to say he had shaky legs. And you know who you don't want to have shaky legs against? Roberto Bautista Agut, who uh, just made this match a track meet who just was the more disciplined, more patient of the two players. And Medvedev, normally you think, huh, how could someone be more disciplined, more patient than Medvedev? Well, Medvedev, I have to say, he's now 0-3 in his career against RBA. It's a bad matchup for him because Medvedev wants you to supply the pace. Medvedev wants you to be the one taking chances, trying to move forward. He wants to bait you into hitting an approach shot you shouldn't hit because he's that good on the run. His defense is that good. He wants to muck things up, but... You know, if you try and play patient, steady against Roberto Bautista Agut, he's going to one-two you to sleep. He's going to go inside-out, 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 open up the inside-in forehand or go backhand cross, backhand cross, backhand cross until you get impatient and try going down the line. And then his on-the-run forehand, both cross-court and down the line, is the best shot in his arsenal. I mean, look— for all-service game, Medvedev goes up 40-15. Medvedev hits a big first serve to the Bautista Gut forehand. Bautista Gut just hit a great forehand return. Nothing Medvedev can do about that. The 40-30 point, 
you know, it's a long point. Medvedev had chances to move in behind a couple of backhands. He doesn't. He ultimately hits a forehand down the line wide. It's deuce. The next return, forehand cross court, hits the net tape. Medvedev does a great job tracking that ball down because it barely trickled over, but it's wide open court. Bautista just has to bunt the ball, and he does. He apologizes, but now he gets to break point. And then Medvedev made another unforced error and destroyed a racket after getting broken. But credit to Medvedev because that pissed him off. And he had a couple of breakpoint chances in that 5-4 service game of Bautista Goop. But again, today just didn't have it quite physically. And, you know, on his breakpoint, gets his second serve, misses the return. Deuce point, it's a long physical point. Uh, He ends up making an error, losing it on a drop shot, unforced error. Next point, set point for Bautista Gut, set point, missed second serve return. Sometimes the margins are that thin, and after that physical of a set and after just the tennis Medvedev had played throughout the week, that first set really was the match, and he kind of, you know, I don't want to say he goes away, but Bautista Gut gets the early break and then gets puts his foot on the medal, 6-4, 6-2 victory, and again, you look for Bautista Gut wins, over Struff in three sets, a win over Isner 7-6 in the third. Now a straight set win over Medvedev. He really has been 23-12 and 12 in his last 52 weeks. Currently ranked number 12 in the world with this result here in the live rankings. He moves up to number 11. Feels about right. I mean, especially during the hardcore portion of the season, of course, he'll get even better come clay. Or, you know, he'll be as solid come clay time, but he's just such a tough out on a hardcore. And you look today, you know, only 15 unforced errors, which is really tough to do considering how physical Medvedev wants to make a match, but only 15 unforced errors, only hit 12 winners, but only need to hit 12 because Medvedev, 29 unforced errors against 22 winners. You look at the service numbers, Bautista Gude made 70% of his first serves was 40 of 56 on the match on service points, a 71% win percentage. You know, he was 14 of 21 on Medvedev's second serve, converted uh, three of his seven breakpoint chances and fought off all three breakpoints he faced. That's how you win a match like this, folks. It was efficient tennis. He made a weary Medvedev play a physical brand of tennis. And now I mentioned it for Bautista Gude. The forehand inside out on the run, it's spectacular. He just plays efficient tennis. Uh, The slow courts in Miami are perfect for him because good luck getting a ball by him uh, there. And that contrast between he and Sinner should make for a really, really fun uh, semifinal round. And now you look for Roberto Bautista Gut. I mentioned the 23-12 and since the tour restarted. He is now 4-4. In Masters quarterfinal events, he's won his last two. He made the semifinals in Cincy, or excuse me, at the Western and Southern in New York. And now he makes the semifinals here in Miami. Beat Medvedev both times, by the way, and I mentioned that 3-0 against Medvedev in his career. The only guys undefeated against Medvedev. This comes, I think, from Enrico Riva, uh, Roberto Bautista Gut, Jill Simone, and Roger Federer. So just again, for Medvedev into the fourth master semifinal of his career. He's one and two in his previous three, but his three losses, or excuse me, his losses are to Djokovic and Nadal. He also has a win over Djokovic. It's a pretty tough gauntlet in your three semifinals. So certainly the most winnable of his matches coming up against Sinner. And wouldn't he love to get to his second career Masters final, first since 2016 in Shanghai. Fantastic result for Roberto Bautista Gun. By the way, with the elimination of Daniil Medvedev, there will be 
a new ATP Masters 1000 champion crowned at the 2021 Miami Open. Sinner, Bautista, Gut, Hercat, Tsitsipas, Korda, Rublev all remaining. I know you hear the names. Rublev and Tsitsipas, yeah, they've won a lot of things, but they have not yet won a Masters 1000 event. So, certainly some drama heading into the weekend. Uh, with that in mind, or I suppose the home stretch, Thursday, not quite the weekend, but maybe with the tennis in the semifinal round, you're starting to feel a little bit of a weekend vibe, of course. Excuse me, we have our two women's semifinals and then our final two men's quarterfinals in singles slated to play on Thursday. Let's start with the women's semifinals. Two really exciting matches as Ashley Barty, number one player in the world, guaranteed to hold on to that ranking after the Osaka loss, takes on Alina Svitolina. Barty won their last matchup in the Shenzhen finals, but prior to that, Alina Svitolina Five and one in her career against Ashley Barty. Now, she's a few years older, and a lot of those matchups happened when Barty was 21, 22 years old before her big breakthrough in 2019. But that's an athletic match because Barty doesn't have that overwhelming weapon. She's going to move you around the court with her forehand, and she can hit the forehand big, and her serve. I guess she does have an overwhelming weapon, her serve and her forehand, but it's not Sabalenka, Serena-type power. It's not a full tier below. It's half a tier below. But Svitolina's got upper-tier athleticism, and that match is going to be a track meet. Uh, Svitolina's going to throw a ton of looks at Barty as well. That's just going to be a really, really fun physical match. Give me Barty to advance in three, uh, but I do think that match goes the distance I think Maria Sakkari is going to beat Bianca Andreescu tomorrow. I mean, it's just a physical thing, right? Andreescu's gone three sets, three sets, three sets in her last three matches. I don't know why I didn't just say three sets in her last three matches and I had to say three sets uh, three times. But look, again, I said it. Who do you not want to have dead legs against? Maria Sakkari, who is going to be able to play big off of the Andreescu second serve. And when your legs are dead, you'd make fewer first serves than you normally would. And I just think... It's, it's the right day for Sakari. It's their first career head-to-head matchup. Again, if Andre- Andrescu makes magic happen, and if Sakari floats a second serve, Andrescu's going to be playing big on her return tomorrow. And clearly, she's found a rhythm, and you know who you never doubt? A Grand Slam champion, a competitor who's 24-5 and f- uh, five through her first 29 premier-level matches or 1,000-level matches. But again... Sakari's fit right now. She's going to be able to handle and redirect the pace of Andrescu, though can Andrescu jam that backhand wing? That's the side that struggles more with pace. Sakari's going to love pace to the forehand, but if Andrescu can just get that serve and then that first ball to the Sakari backhand, Sakari will leave a few balls short, and then it'll give Andrescu opportunities to attack. Now, again, Sakari's so good on the run. That match, at a minimum, Sakari will make it a track meet, but... I'm leaning Sakari tomorrow for all of you wondering at home. Of course, on the men's side, Tsitsipas taking on Hubi Hercats. The bet is for those to go three sets. Now, Tsitsipas 5-1 in his six career head-to-head matchups against Hercats, but five of the six have gone three sets, and I mentioned this now. Hubi Hercats 10 of his 20 matches against top 20 opponents, and I think it's now... Uh, what was it, 8 of his last 10, so now 9 of his last 11 or 10 of his last 12 matches against top 20 opponents have gone three sets. And he just played Rayonich and was able to put enough returns in play, create, I think, what, seven or, yeah, I think it was create seven breakpoint chances for himself. And 
you know, again, Tsitsipas hits the serve big and certainly has a more well-rounded skill set and is going to put more pressure on Hercats and Hercats's return games uh, than Raonic, but Hercats is 6-6. He's going to be able to hit big kick serves and big heavy serves to the Tsitsipas backhand, and that's the Tsitsipas vulnerability. So I do think Hercats steals a set. But I think Tsitsipas advances. He's looked really good thus far this week. Again, that's going to be a really fun match. And then your final matchup, Rublev taking on Korda. How much does Korda have left in the tank? He's the player who has spent the most time on court through the quarterfinals of any of the men's singles quarterfinalists. He also made the quarterfinals in doubles, though he and Michael Moe got knocked out, I believe, earlier today. I know they got knocked out. I don't remember if that was today or yesterday, but... You know, you know who you can't have dead legs against? Andre Rublev. And to Korda's strength, he's got the sort of weapons to hit Rublev off of his spot and to expose still what is Rublev's biggest weakness, which is he's gotten to be a good mover. He's not average. He's not passable. He is a good mover now, but he's not elite. And Korda hits the ball big enough that you kind of have to be an elite mover if Korda has the right sort of day. And I just think his backhand is going to thrive when Rublev hits inside out uh forehands and again the question is can he get clean looks at the return of serve Rublev will hang a second serve and if Korda is going to look to attack if he's on that match is going to be fun he's got a lot of firepower but Andre Rublev's Andre freaking Rublev for a reason so I expect Rublev to advance I also though do expect it to be a very very fun match of course just quickly on the doubles note no women's doubles although I will say today Sviantek and Maddox Sands advancing over Ostapenko and Chick uh Chick uh, Kitchenock and then Ayoyama and Shibahara advancing over Paderoska and Garcia was a parlay your boy suggested on out kick so shout out to those two teams for delivering the goods tomorrow men's semifinal doubles Salisbury and Ram versus Mektic and Pavic Evans and Skupski versus Dodig and Polisech, uh, Polisek excuse me uh, so that should be a very fun day of tennis from start to finish of course as always if you have missed any of the action just look up in your podcast feeder i suppose look down is how it works on the apple podcast as you can find our recaps of each and every one of the days in miami of course if you want to hear about the challenger tour the college tennis that's happened over the past week go hop on over to our great shot podcast feed and i do appreciate i've noticed the number some of you have done this but i wouldn't ask if it didn't help please like rate subscribe review take the few minutes to do that uh it really does help us with the metrics with the sponsors with all the different things it's like 30 seconds of clicking and uh, again it means the world to us and thank you to those of you who have done it if you haven't though please uh, like rate subscribe review this show the great shot podcast cracked interview show and all the crack rackets things we do wherever you listen to your podcast of course if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod shout out as always to our super producer max fligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out I can't emphasize this enough. Westoff not only sees me every morning when I walk out of my room and he walks out of his room, not only has to edit my voice and look at my face all day long, even when I'm not physically in his presence, but then he's got these podcasts as well, and he still uh, at least treats me far better than I deserve to be treated. So shout out to him as always. Fligner, I love you too, but 
Fligner knows that. Fligner's stuck with me for the rest of our lives. Uh, I think at this point, Westoff might be too, but shout out to them as always. Shout out to our friends at MidwestSports.com as well. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. But with that in mind, four. Actually, I just want to issue one more challenge. If you guys want to hear from CR Super Producer Daniel Westoff, I think if we got 100 tweets calling for, and I think it's at CR underscore producer to come on a podcast, he would do it. So if we can get to 100 tweets about it, and please tag him in it, Daniel Westoff at W-E-S-T-H-O-F-F at CR underscore producer. But let's try and get him on a pod. I'll ask, and he'll never say yes to me. But if you guys ask, maybe he will say yes. But with that challenge issued, and with that in mind, for Super Producers Sligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.